Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Adam Taggart and Chris Martinson. They are the author of a new book called Prosper, How to Prepare for the World and Create a World Worth Inheriting. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Let's start with a little bit of your background. Let's start with you, Adam. Let's just start with a little bit of your background in creating this whole Peak Prosperity website, and then we'll do Chris. Sure. So um, I started my career right out of college working at Merrill Lynch as an investment banking analyst on Wall Street. And that gave me a very good front row seat to the uh, the transgressions and the um, uh, the uh, fact that the uh, deck is definitely stacked in the favor of the, uh, of the banks and not their clients. Um, I then went and got my MBA at Stanford. That was right around the time the internet revolution happened. I uh, went out and uh, initially joined a startup and then worked at Yahoo for the better part of a decade. Uh, during that time, uh, I saw the uh, uh, housing bubble that was uh, born uh, leading up until 2007. I uh, began getting very concerned um, about that housing bubble. And as I researched it further, realized that there was uh, a lot of economic malinvestment um, and bad policy that was creating that asset bubble and, and creating a larger one in the general economy. And uh, I started reading uh, online to try to educate myself as to what exactly was causing that, because that's not the kind of stuff they talk about at traditional MBA programs like uh, like Stanford's. And found myself to a minority of voices that made sense to me. And what was interesting about these people is they were the only people who had real data. And these were people that were warning about a housing bubble uh, collapse uh, and a larger a potential credit bubble collapse. Uh, Chris Martinson was one of those folks. Uh, of course, 2008 arrived and uh, proved uh, Chris and his uh, peers in this space to be correct. And uh, Chris and I began uh, corresponding, got to know each other, and ultimately decided to uh, try to combine our talents for uh, analysis on Chris's end and digital media on mine, and that's how Peak Prosperity was born. Very good. And tell me your story, Chris. Sure, be glad to. I'm uh, a scientist by training. I, I got a PhD from Duke University, was doing the whole science thing for a while, went and also got an MBA, went into a corporate world for a while. And I was in the corporate world happily uh, working in both pharma industries and also in a company called SAIC. And uh, enlightened self-interest, Jordan, is how I got started in all this. You know, I, my portfolio was getting ruined in 2000, 2001. And like everybody, I thought I was a genius in the 90s investing and turned out I wasn't. And, and so I started looking into what was really driving those losses and why they happened. I was increasingly unsatisfied with what the standard brokers were telling me. And the more I dug into the economic side of things, Jordan, the more concerned I became. And my wife ended up sharing my concern and um, uh, we ultimately ended up uh, – I ended up leaving the corporate world and starting at what was at that time a website known as chrismartinson.com telling people about these impending changes that were coming economically but also in the energy landscape and at just as importantly in the environment uh, both in terms of things we take from the natural world and also put back into it, resources and pollution, respectively. So, so that was sort of how I got started. I, I just had this story I had to tell, and I started telling it, and it started to grow, and um, here we are. So tell me, Adam, about this website you have, peakprosperity.com. What can people find there? Is there a community there? Tell me a little bit about your website. 
Sure. So yes, there definitely is a community there. Um, it's a community of like-minded thinkers. And so if what we're about to talk about in this podcast is if it resonates with your audience, they'll find more people like them there. Um, essentially what we do is we look at the uh, trends that are most likely to shape the next couple of decades and uh, try to forecast what the impact of, of those trends are going to be on the economy and on our uh, general standard of living. Um, and uh, as uh, we define through assets of ours like the Crash Course, which is a, a four and a half hour video series, uh, though we do have a one hour version, uh, we also have a, uh, uh, it in book form as well. Um, we talk about the fact that the, the, the big trends that we see um, in the economy, in our energy uh, sector, and in the environment are, um, there's a, an awful lot of them that are unsustainable. And so what we really wrestle with is, is what is the impact of the unsustainability of these trends? So a, a, as they begin to falter, as they begin to fail, how is that going to manifest in our world? What's that going to do to our ability to, to build financial wealth and to have uh, retirement funds that are actually going to be there when we need to draw on them? Um, what, what is that going to mean for our general way of life? You know, if there are key resources that we depend on that are becoming uh, scarcer to find and, and more expensive to extract, um, are we going to have to be forced to deal with less? So um, we talk a lot about that. It, it is a little bit uh, dark in terms of the tone because a lot of these trends are, you know, as I mentioned, they're, they're, they're ones that we're quite accustomed to uh, that are going to be disrupted. Um, but at the end of the day, it, we, we find there's really an optimistic story to tell here about changes that people can make in their lifestyles today, in their money patients decisions today that um, if indeed the future looks the way that, that we think it will, um, they will be uh, largely protected against the adverse effects of what might happen. And in many ways, their lives can be enhanced. Um, and so we end up really talking about uh, how people can, can you know, be eyes wide open about what the future might hold, but to be able to chart a path through it that uh, you know, not only will avoid the worst of the dangers, but, but actually will, uh, at the end of the day, uh, result in a better life. Chris, we're, we're going to talk a lot about the future, but let's just talk about the past since the two of you have been together, since 2007, 2008. What are some of the things that you predicted over the last seven years from 2008 to now that have in fact have come uh, to fruition? Well, that, that's really a, a mixed bag. This has been a, a really challenging period to, to try and make a lot of predictions about that are very specific because, as you know, the the central banks have been absolutely uh, monkeying around with all of our markets very big time and and with the price of money doing all sorts of things. So financial predictions, hard to come by. One of the things that we've been really tracking closely is the fact that, um, and that we wrote about, gosh, back in 2008, is, is a dynamic where we see that the economy, as it becomes more and more burdened with debt, has a harder time dealing with expensive energy costs. So when oil rose over $100 a barrel, it really started to throw a lot of the world economy into uh, a little bit of a shock. We saw things like Greece happen as a consequence of that. Uh, we saw um, you know, Spain and Portugal getting a little closer to trouble. We now see China has, has hit stall speed. So our prediction was that expensive energy was going to start to strangle the economy, specifically because of high debt. And on the other side, you know, once the economy can't afford that oil, you would see a, this decline in oil prices, which the oil companies can't uh, manage to survive in or have real trouble uh, prosecuting. And so, so what we're seeing is, is a pattern where some of the things that we predicted back in 2008 in the crash course, which is a big video series, it's all documented. Anybody can see that this is true. We predicted a rising wealth gap. 
Um, we said that's going to create a lot of trouble. It's completely obvious why you get a wealth gap when the Federal Reserve starts printing. We predicted the printing uh, well before it started to happen, and uh, we also predicted that we're going to see this 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 awkward period where we're going to see high oil prices kill the economy and low oil prices kill the uh, oil business. So that ceiling and floor coming together, Jordan, we think that there's going to be real trouble economically and in the energy space uh, in the years to come. Now, you talk in your book a lot about imbalances. Uh, so let's just talk about, and you also have what you call the three E's, which is energy, economy, and environment. Let's start with you, Adam, on energy. What are the imbalances in the energy market? I mean, it seems right now that oil prices are plunging. Uh, OPEC doesn't doesn't have any discipline. The fracking uh, revolution has caused more oil produced than we ever thought possible. We have a surplus of oil all over the place. So what are the imbalances in the energy market? You'd normally think low oil prices would be a good thing for most of the economy in the world. Sure, and I'm, I'm really glad you actually talked about this because um, I think that there is sort of a false narrative going on right now uh, around energy and specifically with oil. Um, so uh, it, it is true that we have uh, more oil flowing in the past couple of years than we have had um, previously. Um, so we can talk about oversupply, but when we talk about oversupply, we're really talking about a low single-digit percent uh, in terms of the actual overage. Um, yet that has resulted in an over 50%, probably you know, over 60, 65% price decline uh, in the price of oil. So a very outsized response from the market. And that's largely due for two reasons. Um, one has been the, uh, the shale uh, extraction that's been going on in the United States. And at the same time, OPEC has kept its production levels very high. Um, I, what is the source of today's oversupply really is more uh, political uh, and uh, uh, sort of an economic uh, mirage, um, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment. But um, you know, Saudi the Saudis are definitely uh, pursuing their their course uh, at this point, not not to maximize short term profit, but really to gain competitive advantage in the longer term. Um, what's happening in the states is. You had oil that we've known about for decades. Um, we've, we've known how to frack for decades. Nothing, nothing about that technology is really new. Um, what happened was is it's become economic to, uh, when oil was above $100 a barrel, it began to become economic to pursue those deposits. And so people did. Um, the oil itself is still fairly expensive to extract. But again, when you're getting paid $120 you know, a barrel in oil, it begins to make sense to go after that. Um, what we found, though, is that below $100 a barrel, very few of those shale operators were making a profit. And at $35 a barrel, nobody is making a profit. So right now, we have a temporary situation where because of this, this short-term uh, and relatively short oversupply, um, we have uh, prices that are just not sustainable. And what that does is it destroys uh, additional well drilling, additional well exploration, and so um, we feel that, especially as we look at global use of oil, which continues to march up year over year over year, that has not uh, come down at all, that we are setting ourselves up for a supply shortage in the next two to three years. And we could see ourselves well back at $150 barrel oil uh, or much more. So Because you can't turn it back on quickly. We're turning it off now, but you're saying it's hard to get it back up together once this price starts rising. Exactly. And I'm also trying to underscore, too, that that extracting oil at $35 a barrel on average is not profitable uh, for the world uh, oil system. So the, the prices that we're enjoying right now really are false prices. They, they cannot last mathematically. 
Yeah. Very good. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are Adam Taggart and Chris Martinson. Uh, they are the authors of a new book called Prosper, How to Prepare for the World and Create a World Worth Inheriting. Uh, the website you can find out more about them is peakprosperity.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart. They are the co-authors of a new book called Prosper, How to Prepare for the Future and Create a World Worth Inheriting. And the website you can find out more about them and their book is uh, peakprosperity.com. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you. So, Thanks. Chris, we're, we're talking about energy a little bit. So kind of go through the environment and what people should be doing. Right now, prices are down and falling. Uh, production's being cut back. So this, how long is this going to last? And then we're going to have the surge in oil prices later. How should people invest and be uh, consumers in this kind of environment? Well, Jordan, this is an area I think people really owe it to themselves to read past the headlines. There's a lot of, unfortunately, misinformation in, in a lot of our newspapers about what's really going on. And a little information can go a long way for an investor here. 
because oil is the master resource. It's not a resource. It, you know, it's not just another thing in a basket of commodities. It is the literal lubricant and driver of all economic activity. In fact, we have no periods in history where we don't see economic growth correlated with growth in oil supplies. So where, what are the oil supplies? Uh, where are they headed? Uh, what are prices likely to be are very, very important questions. And as Adam was alluding to and, and stating before, we think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we're going to be facing supply shortfalls of oil in the future. And we can say that because the world major oil companies have dialed back their capital expenditures enormously, maybe $150, $60 billion this year. But collectively, we've seen about a trillion dollars of, of projects get canceled, deferred, or delayed. These are the projects that are essential to keep the oil from already existing fields pumping at the rates we want it to. So this is a really big thing. I, I know uh, there's a lot of stories out there saying, hey, cleverness, ingenuity, shale oil, are, are, there's nothing here to look at. That couldn't be further from the truth in terms of where we are in, in the world story. So uh, we think there's tremendous investment opportunities uh, for the savvy investor. It's, there's going to be some really clear and strong investments to be made in the energy space, but you really need to know where we are in, in that story right now. So, so that's that's part one. And so let's just talk about that for a minute. Let's just go on the investment side. So, Adam, what would be some ways to play the investment side, the return of oil prices later, even though they're depressed right now? Individual stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, how would you do it? Um, well, definitely you can play it um, both on the downside and the upside with individual stocks. Um, and as uh, Chris was alluding to, you know, the oil majors there. Um, there, there are some companies that are going to be able to come in and uh, pick up some of these um, distressed properties for pennies on the dollar. Uh, it probably will, will be the majors that will be doing the majority of that. Um, there's a lot of companies out there that have way more debt on their balance sheets than they are ever going to be able to service, um, no matter how much the price of oil comes back. Um, and uh, I would definitely, you know, as a speculative investor, uh, I would start looking there. If, if, you're, if you're purely looking to play uh, you know, what's happening in the oil space. Um, certainly what we spend most of our time on is talking about uh, the knock-on effects of what uh, in an exorable grind upwards in oil prices over the next couple of decades are going to be. And um, this is more sort of the territory the book Prosper talks about. But we, we talk about the life investments that people should make when they're um, uh, looking at a future of, of higher and higher energy prices. Uh, and hopefully we'll talk a bit about that in, in a little bit. But um, in terms of the specific uh, hey, you're a speculator, you want to play what's going to go on with the price of oil. Um, I would definitely say probably the more immediate opportunities are on the short side in the weaker players in this space. And then on the, for consumers, uh, are there things they could do now with oil prices down? Uh, should they be getting into solar or is hydrogen cars coming along? What are the consumer uh, alternatives that are going to be coming that will be ready, hopefully, when oil prices start going back up again? Well, Jordan, uh, I'll take that one. Um, so this would be a great time for people who are listening not to be fooled by the low oil prices. This isn't a good time to go out and say, wow, I see a dollar eighty-five at the local station. This would be a great time to go out and, and, and buy a giant you know, F-350 truck because prices are cheap. Understand that these prices go up, they go down. But if you look at the long-term trend, uh, prices are very likely to go higher. Adam and I are big believers that people can make investments in their own home in solar hot water, uh, in solar photovoltaics, in insulating, in things like that, all of which we detail in, in, in pretty, pretty rich detail at our site. 
Uh, these are actual legitimate solid investments where we can show you defined double digit, you know, 15, 20, 18% to even triple digit returns on your investment. So we think it's time for people to uh, use this environment where money is cheap and uh, you know, there's really an opportunity to make some of these other investments really work for you now before everybody understands what's, what's happening and, and you're sort of caught in the scramble with everyone. Are there some long-term alternatives to fossil fuels coming? For example, hydrogen. You hear about hydrogen cars, uh, other kinds of things that would save both environmentally and save on oil. Is that a, a likely prospect? We don't see it yet at this point. And, and the reason is, is that it's going to take uh, many trillions of dollars to be invested there. Now, if, Mar if the United States, if my country was doing that, I would have a slightly different song to tell. But hydrogen itself is not a source of fuel. It's a storage mechanism for fuel. So, um, you know, where do we get the hydrogen from? Well, we split it from water. Well, where's the electricity come from to do that? Well, maybe solar, uh, maybe wind, maybe conventional sources, maybe nuclear. We don't know. Uh, but as, as we look at where we really are in this story in terms of the penetration of alternative energy, which is mostly electricity at this point, um, you know, solar wind, but we need to move ourselves with liquid fuels. That's where Adam and I see that the United States is way behind the curve in terms of actually moving towards something that would be other than fossil fuels. And let's make no mistake about this. Someday fossil fuels will run out. They may not run out for a very long time, but they will peak and we will have slightly less and less of them on some forward basis, which probably is coming for the United States around the year 2020-ish. Um, and, and so we feel that our country is unprepared with a national energy policy that makes sense. So that's why we go on radio shows and we write books and we talk to individuals because there's lots of things that you can do to become aware of the situation and also become prepared for it. How about electric cars? Uh, Tesla and these other companies, there's a lot of electric cars coming. Is that a good alternative, both as an investor and as a consumer wanting to protect yourself against eventually rising oil prices? It could, but it's still pretty niche because you know you look at a Tesla, you know the the you know the, a nice one, the Tesla S. You know that's a probably a seventy, eighty thousand dollar car. It's not mass market yet, and so really when we look at this, um, uh, in order for electric cars to really make an inroad, we would have to see them consuming 50, 60, 70 percent of the total vehicle sales market. There's still a percent or less at this point. And, uh, and, and so I think there's great opportunity there. But first thing we need is a big, big increase in battery technology. You know, if I was going to wave a magic wand and have the country invest in something, uh, let's not put the next 10 billion into uh, a banker bailout. Let's put the next 10 billion into uh, a battery contest and, and really ignite uh, the entrepreneurs in this country. Because until and unless we have better batteries, the electric car is still not a fully competitive idea with fossil fuels at this point. Yeah. Hey, Jordan, just to jump on that, Adam, mm -hmm. um, just as the driver of an electric car, um, to your question about on the consumer level, you know, is it a good strategy for protecting against future oil prices? I think I think it is. I think it's a good start. So by no means are we trying to discourage people from uh, considering electric vehicles. Okay. The three E's, the first we just talked about is energy. The second one is economy. So maybe, Chris, talk about some of the imbalances you see in the economy, both domestically and worldwide, that people are going to have to be dealing with in coming decades. I'm sorry, do you mean the environment? No, that's the third E. The second okay. E is the economy, right? Economy, right. So, well, let's, let's – um, the imbalances that we were tracking in 2008 that really got us nervous included things like growth in derivative positions by big banks, banks that were too big to fail, uh, a, a spike in sovereign debt levels, overall too much debt 
That's what we diagnosed in 2007 and 8. And we said, look, people, here's a problem. Too much debt. Uh, as we look where we are today and take that same snapshot, we see that there are more derivatives today, not fewer. The too big to fail banks are even larger than before. Sovereign debt is even higher. And so on that score, we think that the imbalances that we've been seeing are only larger. And now we can add a couple new ones to this whole piece, which would include an imbalance between the, the ultra rich and everybody else. So that hyper concentration of wealth. Um, and as well, we're seeing very large imbalances in how the growth got distributed across the globe with, with China doing an enormous job consuming a lot of the raw commodities that are the engine of an industrializing nation. Uh, and, and that story being over has created shockwaves in the commodity producing nations, Canada, Australia, right at the top of the list, Brazil, South Africa. Um, so we're seeing these sorts of impacts now. And so the prediction that, that Adam and I would have is, is slightly less a prediction than an observation, which is that the more in the past, historically, the more we've seen authorities try to print their way out of trouble, the more that's just created a bigger piece of trouble down the road. And so what we're very concerned about is that uh, since 2007, nearly $60 trillion of new debt has been taken out by the world's authorities in an attempt to get the economy growing again. $60 trillion new on top of the old pile gives us a little over $200 trillion of outstanding debt in the world. That needs to be serviced by robust economic growth. Um, Adam and I thought it was a poor strategy to, to try and cure or fix a problem rooted in too much debt with even more debt. But, you know, nobody asked us. So here we are. So now we've got more debt. And, uh, and surprise, surprise, very low economic growth. So that imbalance, that is a giant gap, that tension between all of these promises, which are the debt payments, and the reality, which is low, stubbornly low economic growth. Those two pieces are, are creating a lot of tension. We think that, that it's created a very high risk, Jordan, of a, of, a, of a deflationary crisis of some kind. We think that's coming first. And so we really are preaching a lot of, a lot of uh, prudence. We think people should be cautious, um, very, very careful about how they invest and when they invest, and uh, that they need to understand really that the risks that were in play in 2008 didn't get addressed. In I mean, fact, if anything, in most they've cases. Been They've been added to it, even though we've added $60 trillion, uh, the European Central Bank is doing another quantitative easing now. The Japanese are doing it. The Chinese are doing it. I mean, we've just raised rates by a quarter, but we still have a very easy monetary policy as well. So they're hardly listening to you. We're, we continue to add to this debt at a huge rate around the world. So, so how does this all end? What, what are the historical parallels we have to having a huge amount of debt like this? Well, the, the, the parallels are that uh, we haven't seen – any country in history uh, that got past a 260% debt to GDP ratio ever escaped from that uh, without, without somebody having to take a lot of losses. So we have a lot of a whole list of countries now who have total indebtedness as a nation, not just at the government level, but as a nation of 300, 350, 400%. Uh, and so these numbers are, are without historical precedent in terms of their size. But if we wanted to look to history to ask what happens next, we say a lot of those those debts get wiped out. And there's only two ways to do that. One is deflation. You don't pay them back. You default. And the other is inflation, which, of course, the central banks have been trying to stoke and ignite, uh, Japan being just a leading candidate for, for that process. But it hasn't worked. So we're, we're concerned You're saying now. You're more likely, more likely deflation than inflation from where we are today. 
Yes, and we think we're seeing that impulse with commodities down very strongly since a peak in 2011, absolutely just crushed in the past year or so with with 40, 50, 60, 70, even 80% losses across things like iron ore, cement, coal, copper, you name it. Um, so we think that that deflationary impulse is here, and we track that from the outside in. Brazil is right at the top of our list today. South Africa, big trouble going on in those places. We think that that trouble could spread to the center. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart. Their book is called Prosper, How to Prepare for the World and Create a World Worth Inheriting. You can find out more about it and them at peakprosperity.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart. They are the author of a new book called Prosper, How to Prepare for the Future and Create a World Worth Inheriting. Their website, peakprosperity.com. Welcome back to the show, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. So we've talked about the three E's. We talked about energy. We talked about the economy. And now the third E is environment. So, Chris, maybe just tell us, what is the environmental situation? We've got this new Paris Treaty now, which is going to outlaw global warming. So what's the problem? <laughs> Well, it's not so much a problem as a predicament, and I use the word predicament 
rather precisely because predicaments only have outcomes. There's really no solution to them. And we're facing a, a number of predicaments out there. Uh, you know, there's really big ones like the fact that we're losing topsoil from our key agricultural areas at, at very measurable, very fast rates. We're drawing down aquifer water tables under a number of key population centers at rates far faster than those can be recharged. In some cases, like in the entire country of Saudi Arabia, they ran down their water tables almost entirely growing wheat in the desert. Not very smart, but now they think, okay, we can desalinate, you know, problem solved. But that works only as long as Saudi Arabia has oil to run those very energy expensive desalination plants. So we're starting, you know, the environment is, is code speak for the natural world. And we're looking at what's happening across the, the natural world, Jordan. We see things, really disturbing things like species extinctions happening at rates that are geologically almost unprecedented. We're looking at carbon entering the atmosphere at really a very, very fast clip. We're looking at changing weather patterns that are starting to impact all kinds of things, including food production and, and whatnot. So for us, the story of the environment is simply this. It's a finite sphere of this ball that we live on, and it can only provide so much and it can only absorb so much. And we're seeing the limits to that. But we have an economy that wants to grow, grow, grow forever. So we think that the environment is flashing clear, you know, orange and, and bright red warning signs to us saying, stop, time out. You know, we need to find a new way. And, and so that's the, you know, the reason we put those three E's, economy, energy, environment together, is you can't look at any one of them in isolation anymore. You have to see the whole picture to really understand what's happening. And, uh, you know, for anybody listening, you know, thank you for sticking this far. But, you know, because this all sounds entirely drab and depressing, but there's a lot not only that we can, but that we really should be doing. And in the environment uh, has some really strong examples, Jordan, of ways that humans can be vast agents of good and abundance creators rather than uh, destroyers of natural abundance and beauty. Adam, do you think that the Paris Agreement on global warming that was just passed recently is going to have a major positive impact on the environment? Uh, boy, I, I, I sadly don't think it's going to do in any sort of recognizable timeline for us, and that's largely because, as Chris stated, um, a lot of the, uh, the trends that are in play are not ones that you can just turn off. Um, and we could all stop breathing, all you know, 7 billion of us, and uh, temperature is probably likely still going to rise for, for a while, given the emissions that have gone into the atmosphere. So um, I do think it's a good step in the right direction. Um, I, I am a little bit concerned that uh, it does deliver a signal to people that, oh, okay, it's been taken care of. I can just go on uh, buying a bigger SUV next time and driving a little bit further when I take the kids to, to soccer or whatnot. Um, and uh, if anything, you know, we need to be... Uh, Increasingly focused on uh, what we can do to, uh, you know, both both curtail the the negative emissions that we're putting into the world or negative output that we're putting into the world through whatever type of pollution. Um, and as Chris stated, uh, focusing on what are the things that we can do, both individuals and as a society, uh, that can actually um, uh, be reparative uh, and actually, uh, uh, you know, be beginning to restore some of the damage that we've done to the environment. Um, so Chris, so like let's talk about it a little, little bit. So let's talk about it as an investor, as a consumer. What can things, what are the, the it sounds like enormous investment implications of this environmental catastrophe and ways to repair it. And as a consumer, what can people do to restore the environment and not pollute it as much? Well, Jordan, now, now we're going to uh, sneak over into the book Prosper a little bit. And, uh, 
And one of the areas, you know, we talk in the, in the book, we're really talking about resilience and how people can become more resilient and maybe why they might not. But uh, after that framing, we, we talk about this idea that there are eight forms of capital that are really important for people to invest in. And financial capital, everybody's familiar with. Maybe we'll spend more time on that in a minute. But direct to your question, one of the forms of capital that we have in there is called living capital. And so the living capital is any of the systems that would support and sustain you. So my body is part of my living capital. But if I looked out my window right now, I would see how I've taken my financial capital and converted it into increased living capital. And by that, I mean I look out my window and I see a garden, which I buy compost for and build my soil up every year. I look out there, I see an orchard. Uh, and, and I've been creating and planting things to feed myself, but also to create beautiful habitat for butterflies, for the bees, for other pollinators, uh, to increase the diversity of, of animal life out there. So because of my actions and because I'm a clever guy, I'm able to figure out how to increase the abundance of the natural world around me by working with it. And so that's something that everybody can do. Even if you do live in an urban area, we can all contribute to that process either directly like I've done or indirectly by making sure that you are buying food from people who are managing to uh, their farms and their farming practices in ways that do build up the natural world rather so than buying organic down. food, you're saying basically organic food and organic products in general are better for the environment, you're saying. In, in general, they are, and we can go even further than that now, that there are local producers who go beyond. Or organic is simply a designation that says no unnatural fertilizers, pesticides, and things like that. But there are people who, who farm sustainably, meaning that they can measurably tell you that next year their soil is going to be better than this year, um, which is a, a further designation. So people are really getting into this and putting you know a lot of clever thought into it. And, and, and there's some great investment opportunities, which... Adam is hip deep in in, uh, in his neck of the woods out there so, in California. So talk about that, Adam. What are some of the investment implications of improving the environment, uh, making it better and not making it worse? Sure. So, um, I mean, it really comes down to making the land more productive. And as Chris talked about, there are ways to do that that um, uh, you know are better for all the different stakeholders. So uh, the type of soil management that he was just talking about, um, a great company out near me is a company called uh, Singing Frog Farms, um, which are pioneers in this type of no-till type of farming that Chris was talking about, where every year they're actually laying, they're, they're building the depth of their topsoil and they're increasing its micronutrient value. And there's all sorts of benefits that come from that, um, both in terms of uh, you know, improving the quality of the land itself, but also including its production. They're able to get five to seven harvests a year out of that land as opposed to the standard uh, number of harvests, which is one to two, maybe three. So the, the value of that land on a productivity basis is two to three times conventional farmland. Um, so there are ways to you know, support that as an individual consumer and you know, your, the return you're getting is, is uh, healthy food that you're feeding your family. Um, but there are plenty of opportunities here where people like that uh, who are interested in implementing these new practices don't have the capital to buy the farmland. Um, and there's definitely equivalence on, on, on the ranching side as well. Um, and so investors that can play a role in their community in providing both financial capital and perhaps business acumen to the farmers and ranchers that want to use these, you know, more reparative types of practices. Uh, how do you provide capital to them? Is crowdfunding or how does one do that if you want to support natural farmers? There are multiple different ways. Some of them are crowdfunding. There are companies out there like CircleUp, which have done a great job in years past of connecting uh, individual investors with specific opportunities like this. Uh, they basically sort of take out the, 
the middleman, which in the the old days sort of used to be the investment banker, uh, and it's now where people can directly uh, funnel their capital into companies that they they believe in. And Circle Up, in particular, has had a, a lot of companies in the food system uh, space. Um, but uh, I mean, to be honest, there are several I've done where I've I've literally gone and knocked on the door and just just started talking to the proprietors themselves, gotten to understand their business, gotten to learn their goals, uh, talked about how you know. Uh, what I could bring to the table that might be of use to them. And you'd be surprised at the number of people there that are willing to have that conversation. Um, and that, how about on, on the public level? Are there stocks, publicly traded companies that are doing you know, things are, in this area? There, there aren't too many yet, but that's coming. Um, there's one company that we really like a lot at Peak Prosperity that we've, we've highlighted over the years. It's a company called Farmland LP. And what they do is they go out and they buy conventional farmland that's, that's largely been over-farmed. Uh, the soil's been so degraded that it's a distressed property. And uh, they buy it. Um, they spend the next three years basically bringing the land back up to organic status using a lot of the, the uh, uh, systems that we've, we've been referring to here. And um, once they have it back at organic status, um, they're then able to sell produce that's declared organic um, into local marketplaces and charge a much higher premium for it. And they do this in a rotational way where they have Animals come in first that, uh, you know, basically through their uh, rooting in the soil and through their manure, they restore the, the uh, nutrient content and then they move those out and then they, they plant vegetables where the animals were. And so where you had a monocrop beforehand that was um, basically depleting the soil year over year until it gets burned out, you now have many more different products on the same plot of land that actually makes the land itself more valuable and lets you sell at a higher price point. So this fund used to be a private fund. They've now launched a private REIT that does exactly this, just at a, at a, a larger scale. In five years, that REIT's going to become public, and then all of a sudden, anybody with you know a thousand, however many dollars they want to invest, can become a share owner in that venture. So we're beginning to see companies begin to bring things like this to the public market. Before we go to break, uh, Chris, you have the whole idea of resilience is a big part of your book. Just to kind of describe what you mean by resilience. Well, sure. So resilience is, you know, the ability to bounce back from any sort of an insult. It, it's the it, it's a, a measure of sort of toughness or your or your ability to um, not be overly impacted by some change in the environment. And so we talk about resilience as as a, not a thing you attain, but it's really a a, a mindset and it's a set of practices that people can adopt. So we have a lot of people at our site of all different, you know, educational backgrounds, all different economic means who are uh, highly invested in this idea of, of becoming resilient, which I think boils down to this idea of beginning to resume control for things that you may have outsourced or given off to the wider world uh, in, in hopes and trust that the wider world would always be there delivering those to you. Uh, really, you know, basic kinds of things uh, around, I mentioned for myself, having some control over my food production, not all of it, but just some of it. Is is that is taking that step of of uh, heading into resuming control over something which makes me more resilient and also adds to my quality of life uh, as well at the same time. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart. Uh, they are the co-authors of a book called Prosper: How to Prepare for the Future and Create a World Worth Inheriting. Their website peakprosperity.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, co-authors of the book Prosper, How to Prepare for the Future and Create a World Worth Inheriting. Website to find out more about them is peakprosperity.com. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you. So we've kind of had this catastrophic view of the world as far as energy and economic imbalances and environmental disasters. But the last section now we're going to kind of say here are some things you can do using the various kinds of capital uh, to make things better. We've talked about financial capital and living capital. Next one is material capital. So maybe, Adam, talk a a little bit about material capital and how that can be used to make things better. Sure. And material capital really is uh, its an easy one to discuss. It's, it's really the things that uh, the material, the physical things that you're investing in uh, that uh, will provide for you uh, when you need them to. So these can be things like our own homesteads. Um, certainly a big part of material capital that we like to talk about is energy efficiency. What are the things to do to your home that uh, make you more efficient in your overall use of energy, but then how can you uh, depend on energy sources or perhaps even generate some of your own that reduce your dependency to fossil fuels. And I think we've already talked about, you know, a lot of the risks of, of our national uh, fossil fuel dependency. Uh, but these can also be things that, like you mentioned earlier, the car that you drive. Uh, it can be tools that you invest in. So, you know, what are the things that you are actually able to do on your own because you have the infrastructure to do it? Um, so, you know, picture yourself walking into a hardware store and looking around, and that's a good, good general sense of what material capital looks like. Um, the one thing I want to just focus on here, because it's going to be relevant to other forms of capital, is um, you know, material capital is, a, is, is an easy one to procure with financial capital. Um, but the point is, is that a lot of capital is fungible, uh, as we refer to it, meaning, yes, you can, you can go in and spend you know, $40 and buy a new shovel at the hardware store. But you can use other forms of capital uh, to get that same access to a shovel. You know, you can look after your neighbor's kids while they're, you know, out for the day and borrow their shovel. So um, a part of a theme we want to wave through the forms of capital here is that you actually can exchange one form of capital for another if you're rich in one and poor in another one. So, Chris, talk about knowledge capital now and how that can help in the situation. 
Sure. So knowledge capital is really important. You know, a lot of times people look at this, uh, the, the coming constellation of things that might happen in the future and they say, wow, I could use some new skills and, um, and then things like that. So for us, what this means is, look, you know, and I think this is proving out with what people are discovering about college is that just knowing something alone is not really sufficient. You need to both know something and you have to have experience with it. And it's the overlap between what you know and what you know how to do that forms that, that overlap might be called mastery. So we think that this is a great time for people to really be building up their knowledge capital and their experience set for all kinds of new and different things potentially. And so this is an area where you can easily invest some of your financial capital in and, and learn uh, or, and or buy experiences, if you will, and, and really consider that an important form of capital uh, and so a little bit of a side nudge that we put on this one is that it's not sufficient, I think, for people to think, oh, you know, if something happens in the future, then I'll, I'll start, um, you know, on uh, learning what I need to learn. We think that now is a great time. It keeps you lively. It keeps you engaged. And uh, it's, it's a proven fact that, that people who are curious and continue to learn uh, age better and live longer. So, so we think this is a great time and, and a great area for people to invest some of their time capital and their financial capital in. Do you think the educational establishment K through college is doing a good job at teaching people about what they need to do for this new era? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't. Uh, maybe Adam has a different point of view, but uh, uh, the, I think they're locked into an old model. I think that you know one of the areas that we talk about in the financial capital a lot, Adam and I are big proponents of the idea that entrepreneurship is one of the most essential and valuable skill sets people can have. And one of the most important things to pick on one thing that entrepreneurs have is that they're not afraid to fail. Well, K through college teaches you that failure is wrong. There's a right answer, a bad answer, and uh, all of that. We think that, that in many cases, schools uh, teach you how not to be entrepreneurs, and we think they should be doing the opposite. I mean, there are all these courses about environmental things all the time and environmental science programs, and everybody's supposed to be recycling and all that. You don't think that's making much of an impact? Well, not by not by what I see so far. So it's really time to to flip that narrative over and and uh, start trying brand new things because we're Adam and I are of the view that there's such an extraordinary period of change coming. It's going to be so fast that anything we can do to be a little bit more resilient, flexible, adaptive, creative are going to be uh, good things to to figure out how to become. Now the next one, Adam, is uh, emotional capital. How does that work into all this? Well, um, it really forms the core of it all. So um, if you are the type of person that basically falls to pieces when adversity arrives, it really doesn't matter how much of the other forms of capital you have. Um, so working on your ability to um, you know, withstand stress, uh, to be able to be flexible, uh, to be scrappy and resourceful, to find opportunity in chaos is going to be, honestly, I think, a critical success factor in the type of future that we think could be arriving. Um, Chris and so I know... Is that something that can be taught? I mean, that's not something most people have very much. They do panic uh, when things go bad. It, it, I mean, it, everybody has their own individual attitudes that they're born with, but it's definitely something that can be worked on and improved. Um, a, 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 a lot of it, to Chris's earlier point, uh, by getting out there and making mistakes, you begin to build confidence uh, that, uh, hey, if something goes wrong, it's not the end of the world, and begin to you know, build up confidence in your ability to, to be faced with a problem and eventually overcome it. Um, a huge part of, of what we see with people that amass a lot of financial capital is it, it's really the only form of capital that they're rich in, and they tend to be horrendously uh, 
anxiety ridden because they, you know, if, if they pay any attention to the same things we do, they see the risks out there to the economy and to um, financial wealth. And they live in fear of, well, what happens if my financial wealth, you know, gets materially depleted in a, you know, major market correction or, uh, you know, our money loses its purchasing power or whatever. Um, you know, these are people who basically uh, self-identify by how many dollars they have in the bank and, uh, and, and really, you know, have almost zero emotional resiliency. And these are the type of people that I think are going to be some of the first casualties of the next sort of 2008 style correction. So it's okay. very, very important to cultivate uh, the ability to, to realize that uh, uh, there's much more to life than, than just, uh, you know, just whatever it is you're most obsessed with. Uh, Chris, the next one you have is social capital. What do you mean by that and how does that play into this whole resilience area? So let's imagine you were in Zimbabwe in, in 94 before their, their currency really uh, went down the toilet and you saw it coming and you built up all these other forms of capital. You know, you put away some food, some fuel, you really stored up some, some non-Zimbabwe you know, currency of some form. You did all of that. Um, well, that, that crisis lasted for eight years before it finally burned itself out. Not that it's, it's a great place now. What we know from the people who really studied that is that the people who performed the best, who did the best were those who actually had deep forms of social capital. They have deep connections because the material stuff that you might have stockpiled, it goes away. The financial capital will go away. So the determinant of success for these people was who did they know? And if they knew enough people, they could find what they needed to find. They could get by much better than the people who were isolated or socially unconnected. So we think there would be an advantage, obviously, to being a fairly well socially connected. You have a lot of social capital, meaning you're not just that you've exchanged favors with people, but you really know who the people are you're interacting with, what makes them tick. You know more than just their name and, and where they work and, and maybe what color car they drive. So we're talking about – Today, yeah. if more than anything, people are very isolated because of the internet and they're staying at home just connecting online and, and not really seeing each other in person as much. Absolutely. And so a lot of the advice in this chapter is about specific ways to go out and face-to-face -face meet people, whether that's volunteering, whether that's uh, learning how to both give – in your community, but also receive because what's good at giving if nobody's receiving, uh, and also you know other volunteering acts that you might do at, at any of the institutions out there that would need you, or whatever it would take. So we really believe that that getting out there and building your social capital is an extraordinarily good thing to do. Not just because some awkward future might arrive, but because it's it's a it's a solid proven determinant of your happiness today, here, and now. We have about a minute to go. The last two capitals we're not going to be able to get to are cultural capital and time capital. But Chris, why don't you kind of give an overall view of what we've been talking about here, what the dangers are and what the opportunities are to follow what you're talking about at peakprosperity.com. Absolutely. So a lot of this, this program and a lot of our work at Peak Prosperity has been around the problem definition, which is, uh-oh, look at all these things that could go wrong. Prosper, this new book, is about the solution space, which is what are all the things that we can and should be doing given all the things we see in the world? So it's got a lot of hope and it's got a lot of opportunity built in it. I think that people who aren't paying attention, many of them are going to be very disappointed, if not harmed, by some of the changes that are coming. But for those who can see it, can embrace it, this is going to be a period of change. There will be relative winners and losers. We think there's an extraordinary wealth transfer coming up, which people can study more at our site. And we think there's a way to be on the right side instead of the wrong side of that line. That's our work, and we're trying hard to reach as many people as we can. So thank you for helping us do that. Very good. My guests uh, this hour have been Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, the authors of a book called Prosper, 
how to prepare for the future and create a world worth inheriting. You can find out more about them at their website, peakprosperity.com. Thanks so much for being on the show, Chris and Adam. Thanks very much. Thank you, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.